Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with San Francisco's new fire chief, Janine Nicholson. She's talking about some serious topics, like paramedics' calls for homelessness, her own cancer battle, and whether the city is ready for a major earthquake. But we also touch on some fun topics, too, like what movies and TV shows about firefighting get very wrong. I'll be right back with Fire Chief Janine Nicholson. Well, welcome, Chief Nicholson, to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much. Nice to be here. So first, I wanted to get a little bio of you. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up in a town uh, in New York, just outside of New York City, called Pelham. Okay. My mom still lives there. Oh, wow. (laughs) You talked in your inaugural speech about some uh, crazy times with your siblings. (laughs) Yes, there were some crazy times with my siblings. Being the youngest, if there are people out there who are the youngest sibling, you might know what it's like to be a youngest. How many many are there of you? uh, Older sister, older brother. But they were three and four years older. so They were pretty good at tormenting you. They were. They took advantage (laughs) of me, yes. (laughs) And what brought you out to San Francisco? Well, um, I I, uh, I had some friends that were moving out here, and mm-hmm. I had been out here before, and I um, really loved it, and I felt at home right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a young queer person in the um, late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. um, it was a little different atmosphere than it is now um, yeah. in, in um, different places, and so uh, this was the most welcoming, um, easiest place to be me. Great. And did you know you always wanted to be a firefighter from a young age, or was that did that come on later? So I never had the role models as a young a young girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually grew up across the street from a fire station. Oh wow! And my parents used to take me in there. My dad used to take me in there when it was uh, election day, and uh, they had the old school um, voting machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never I, I was fascinated by the place, but um, I never thought that. A girl could be a firefighter. This was in the 70s, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, but it's really a perfect fit for me because I like to use my brain and Mm -hmm. my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I like the challenge of that. Mm -hmm. And I I love a good crisis. (laughs) (laughs) We we enjoy good crises here as well. Um, And you've climbed the ranks of the fire department here in San Francisco for the past 25 years. Can you kind of outline how your career went and maybe recall a couple of memorable days along the way? Yeah, sure. I In 1994, January 94, I started um, as a recruit in our division of training tower. It was 14 weeks of training then. Then I became uh, a firefighter uh, on engine companies, on truck companies, worked in different neighborhoods throughout mm-hmm. the city. Uh, then after about seven years... I um, took a paramedic class and became a paramedic firefighter. So that meant I was on the ambulance some of the uh-huh. time and on the fire engine uh, some of the time. Uh, and then I did that for four or five years, and then I promoted to lieutenant uh-huh. um, and uh, worked all over the city again. And in pretty much every level, I've worked all over the city. And then in um, 2012, I promoted to captain. And then just uh, two and a half years ago to battalion chief. Uh-huh. And that that's the last test I took. And then uh, I was chosen by the former chief uh, to be her deputy chief of administration in January of 2018. And I got to see a whole other side of of things, uh, you know, as opposed to being in the field uh, operations all the time. Mm-hmm. I got to see the administrative side. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, chief starting in May. 
Wow. So there <laughs> Quite we impressive. Have it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So um, as a young woman, um, just starting out in the early 90s, you were on kind of the early end of women being in the fire department. What was that like? Did you get any pushback from your male colleagues or did they accept you right away? So there were probably 40 or 50 women in um, out of, you know, 1500 at the time. By the time I came in, Mm -hmm. women started in 1989. Mm -hmm. I managed to... uh, you know, make myself at home and uh, learn how to get along with people. Mm -hmm. And it was a very different time back then. We didn't have, not all firehouses had separate bathrooms, Mm -hmm. women's and a men's. Uh, So we really had to work that out and work around (laughs) each other and respect one another's space. Uh And, and, um, you know, one of the people who was hardest on me uh, back then when I first came in was, was a woman. Oh, yeah? And, uh, yeah, she she was in the first class of women. Her name was Frances Fauché. And um, she was really uh, a great firefighter. She was really proud. And she didn't want any of us to screw up. Mm-hmm. Um, because back then, if a woman screwed up, then all women are screwed up, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so she really... Um, she really was was one of my early mentors in the so department. So tough on you in a good way then. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And did you like working on um, fire trucks or in ambulances better? So we have fire engines, which are the ones with the hose mm-hmm. and the water. The fire truck is the long one with the aerial ladder. And um, my favorite really is working on a fire engine. Um, but I loved being on the ambulance as well. I love being able to um, really help people in in a time of need. And also in the back of the ambulance, sometimes it wasn't always um, saving someone's life. Sometimes it was just speaking with someone, you know, someone who's elderly and who's fallen. Or, mm-hmm. And you, I really got some incredible um, stories from people and just uh, it was a really great experience. Cool. Was there a particular fire that stands out in your mind that was maybe one of your most important days on the job or something else that sticks out as a big day for you as a firefighter? So I remember my very first fire um, in 1994, and it was out um, off of Silver and Casada streets. And uh, I remember we went, it was in the middle of the night, and it was my, it was my very first fire. And it was, it was pretty incredible. And uh, once that happened, um, you know, I had the bug. You were hooked. <laughs> yeah, I definitely had the bug. The um, the the teamwork, um, the uh, you know, the stress, the all of it just was, and using my body and my mind, like you know, uh, being smart about what we're doing, but being aggressive about what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And how did you find out that the mayor wanted you to be chief? Was that kind of a long time in the making, or was it a surprise? So the job, the job announcement um, for applications went out, I think, in December mm-hmm. of last year. And so I entered my name and mm-hmm. I think there were 30 or 35 other people. And some of us uh, got an interview with the fire commission and then they whittled that group down um, to an interview with some other uh, folks from City Hall, um, the city administrator, uh, a, com- a commissioner on another uh, in another department, et cetera. And then three of us uh, got to speak with uh, the mayor, mm-hmm. and I was one of them. And obviously, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, really, I wasn't. I wasn't sure until she, you know, th- they called me. Mm-hmm. Her office called me, and I spoke with her, and I spoke with um, her chief of staff, mm-hmm. 
And I had to keep it on the down low mm-hmm. for a few days before she was going to announce it. So we pesky reporters wouldn't find out about you it. You did not find <laughs> out about it from me. If you found out about it, it wasn't me. <laughs> and how did that feel to get that call? Um, it was it was kind of surreal, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, like, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, how did I go from firefighter to a chief. It was not, not, It wasn't something that I aspired to do when I first became, came in the fire department. It, it wasn't even something I aspired to do a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and but people really encouraged me over mm-hmm. the last year to, uh, to to put my name in the hat, mm-hmm. and um, it 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 all has worked out. Knock on wood so far. But it's it, sometimes it's still a little surreal, mm-hmm. although it's very real at the same time. Right. A lot of responsibility. Um, and uh, but sometimes I pinch myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're the first uh, member of the LGBT community to hold this position. Is that important to you or is it more just like a footnote, would you say? So just to clarify, I am the first out LGBTQ. We don't know right. about any of our Fair former enough. chiefs. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and <clears throat> for me, it's um, it's internally for me, it's not necessarily a big deal, but it is a big deal to a lot of people mm-hmm. and to um, the queer community. Mm-hmm. And I really understood that when we walked in the Pride Parade this year. And and I think it's also just like I said, I didn't have any role models when I was a little kid, any role models who were firefighters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now some of us can, can be that um, for some of these kids, um, you know, queer or not, you know, girls, boys, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's, it's, I, I get the importance of it. And, um, and uh, it's a real, it's a real honor, actually. What was it like in the Pride Parade? You said that was when it kind of struck you. Yeah, my, my staff, um, the, the, my command staff, who usually we walk together, they were mm-hmm. all behind me sort of letting it be my parade. Aww. It was really, really sweet. And, um, it was just a lot of a lot of love mm-hmm. from the from the crowd. I mean, we we typically get a lot of love from the crowd because we're the yeah. fire department. Um, little kids love you. My yes. little kids yes. <laughs> are always exactly. so excited when the fire exactly. Go but it was definitely different um, this year, and it was people were pointing me out. Hey, that's you know, and so it was really um, it really touched me. It really moved me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I know when the mayor asked you to be chief, you were living in Berkeley and you said you were going to move to the city. So have you made that move across the bridge? Yes, I moved across the bridge. <laughs> I'm on the west side yeah. and uh, I'm not living in the chief's residence. It 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 has um, it, it needs a lot of work right now. Uh-huh. Is that um, going to happen or is that not a high priority? It's it. We're hoping it will happen. But, you know, budgetarily, we, we have to look at next year's budget and mm-hmm. it's it's hard to. Uh, justify spending a million dollars on a place when we need fire engines, when we need repairs in our fire stations. So, you know, I'd really love to have some philanthropists come mm-hmm. along and, and help us we out. We can put but... out the call now. Mark Benioff, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> when was the last time the chief lived in that residence? So uh, I believe it was uh, the chief prior to uh, Chief Hayes White, so 15 okay. years ago. Yeah. But then uh, the city allowed... Um, some department heads to live there mm-hmm. um, as well, but then that got that got stopped. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's uninhabited right now. It is. Yeah. And family? Do you have a partner, spouse, kids? No, I'm I'm married to the fire department right mm-hmm. now, and and I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, 
have pets. Okay. And, uh, dogs or cats? Two dogs and a cat. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, they're my therapy and, you know, they get me out and, uh, you know, they, they don't ask for much when I come <laughs> home, which is great. Kids do, I can tell you. <laughs> um, so one of the goals you outlined when you were selected as chief is working on emergency preparedness. Um. Is San Francisco ready for a major earthquake? And what would you say we still need to do to to get to that fully prepared status? So we are always ready. Fire department is always ready for any kind of emergency earthquake or um, terrorist attack or whatever. Um, it's it's how we roll. Mm-hmm. We're ready to go to work every day. Mm-hmm. And having said that, there are some things that we can uh, do to make the city more resilient and our members more resilient. Um, so part of that is in this year's budget, we asked for um, what's called a hose tender, which is basically an above ground hydrant system that we can lay out um, because you may or may not know the west side of the city. The west side of the city um, does not have um, a redundant water supply system as much of the rest of the city. What does that mean? So you have, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the hydrants in our city. Yeah. There are white ones smaller white ones, and then there are big white ones with a red cap, a blue cap, or a black cap. Mm -hmm. So those are two different systems. The small ones are off of our um, regular water system. It's the same as our, um, you know, it it comes from the same place our drinking water, et cetera, comes from. The other one, um, the other are um, high pressure hydrants. They come from, we have a tank at Ashbury Street, a tank at Twin Peaks. So they come from a reservoir. And so in case the first uh, pipes break, Mm-hmm. We have a backup. Mm-hmm. So that came into being after the 1906 earthquake. Um, and it, it that system needs to be expanded. And it will be, hopefully, if uh, the, the bond passes next year for it, um, the emergency firefighting water s- system. But in the meanwhile, we need something to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. So we got hose tenders, um, and they carry 6,000 feet of, of uh, large bore hose. And they can, they're four-wheel drive. They can get anywhere. So we can supply um, uh, the city with water because um, with a a large earthquake um, in this city, we're Mm -hmm. expecting 80 ignition points. And we don't have 80 fire engines. So this will be really instrumental in us being able to deploy um, enough resources Mm -hmm. to different places. So there's that. We are also working on... um, uh, making our incident management team uh, more robust, uh, having multiple people for the different positions, uh, because if we're going to have an earthquake, uh, it, it may be not just a 12-hour operational period. It may be 72 hours or a week. And so we need people to um, uh, to make sure we have all the uh, resources that we need, both, both human and equipment-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working on that. I encourage everyone in the city, um, whether you work or live here, to take our neighborhood emergency response team, our NERC training, mm-hmm. uh, because that can that can help uh, individuals know what to do at home, so they are not part of the, um, so you don't become part of the problem, right? Uh, because nine one one will be overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of things that are that are being done within the city. Um, we're also ramping up um, some training with the DEM. Uh, with the police department, so we're 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 really making good strides mm-hmm. to make ourselves more resilient. But we're always ready. 
And with the cost of living, I know a lot of professions are having a hard time living in the city and firefighters are one of them. Do you know what percentage of your staff actually lives here and what and then the percentage who don't might have a hard time getting in, you know, if there is a major earthquake? Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to give you the wrong number. I'm okay. not sure what it is, but mm-hmm. fewer and fewer people um, uh in the fire department live here. Mm -hmm. When I got in, you had to live in the city to get into the department. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, but as we know with uh, rent and housing prices, um, things have changed a lot. Yeah. So I I don't know the percentage. Okay. But are you concerned that if a bridge is damaged or you might not have enough people on hand to respond? So that is part of our, um, in our disaster plan. Uh, We're working with the Coast Guard. We're working with um, different uh, ferry um, ferry companies to make sure that um, we are able to bring our members back if the bridge or bridges go down. Mm-hmm. So we're already pre-planning that. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that is that is part of what we'll, we'll, we may need to do. Well, good to hear as a resident that you're <laughs> working that out. Yes. Um, your paramedics spend a lot of time responding to emergency calls related to homelessness and the drug crisis. Um, is it frustrating for your crews to treat the same people over and over again, taking them to SF General to have them released back to the sidewalks, and then you may get a call regarding the same person in a few days, and it just seems like a cycle that doesn't really end? Yeah, so 80% of our um, calls within the fire department are medical in nature. Um, and of that 80%, um, 35 to 40% of our medical calls are Uh, a person with an unknown address, Um, typically someone who's living on the street. You know, sometimes it might be somebody who got hit by a car who doesn't have any idea, but typically it's, it's um, our, our uh, population that's living on the street. And so what I can say just um, from my own experience, Mm -hmm. when I was on the ambulance 20 years ago, um, we would, we had some of the same, like you'd pick up the same person a couple times in a day and, and, and bring, you know, bring them to St. Luke's and then you'd be filling out your paperwork and there they are walking out the door. So that's not necessarily um, that new. What's new is um, there are a lot more people and Mm -hmm. there are a lot more behavioral health and opioid issues than ever before. And so we we do have, we definitely have a crisis Mm -hmm. on our hands and I am collaborating with other city departments I met with Dr. Grant Colfax from DPH, Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen Carroll from uh, DEM, um, and uh, Dr. Colwell from the emergency department at um, San Francisco General. So we're trying to come up with um, creative solutions to really um, um, uh, approaching this, this crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we do is we have um, a community paramedicine program within the department I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called EMS-6. Oh, yes, I have. Uh And so um, we've only had uh, three people staffing it for the last couple of years, and they go to our most frequent callers. So we have people who call 100, 200 times in a year. You can imagine the amount of resources Uh that uses up. And um, and so we we have EMS-6 community paramedics. They find out who these folks are and they go out and meet with them and gain their trust and find out what they need and, you know, where they're from and, 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 and really work with them so we can either get them into housing or get them back to a family member somewhere Mm -hmm. or um, uh, to really reduce the call volume. Uh, Because of this call volume, the call volume keeps going up and up and up. 
Um, we do uh, we do run low on ambulances um, uh, quite a bit of the time, and that does make me um, that that does uh, really concern me. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, and sometimes it's for somebody who's just laying on the street, and you know, and um, meanwhile somebody could be seriously injured. Right. Um, so it's really stretched our resources, um, um, uh, you know, more than I'm, I'm comfortable with. So um, we are, but we are looking for creative solutions, whether we bring a, you know, a tent or a van out to, say, Turk and Taylor or, you know, um, somewhere in the Bayview, whatever, and just open our doors. And, um, you know, we, maybe we have a paramedic, a social worker, um, a hot team member, all there, and people can just sort of, you know, access mm-hmm. what they need right then and there. I know other cities um, do things similar to this mm-hmm. um, that that have been really effective. And frankly, our our EMS six is very effective, but they've only been able to get to thirteen percent of the frequent callers. So in our latest budget, we got um, five more positions. So that will definitely uh, make a little dent in it. But we really do need to come up with some creative solutions. Yeah. Um, because if you've heard um, uh, Jeff Kaczynski say, we can't build our way out of this. The, the, no. We, we, can't, we can't build fast enough to build our way out of this. So yeah. there, there needs to be some, yeah, there needs to be some other, um, some other things. And really just from what I saw on the streets 20 years ago to what I'm seeing on the streets now, it is so much behavioral stuff. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are unable to really um, conserve some people that I think just should not be on the street that are just so sick. I don't think it's humane living, leaving them out there. I think we need to have some type of um, stronger um, uh, policy or law in terms of um, in terms of being able to conserve um, some of our um, some of our people on the streets that just they can't take care of themselves yeah. and it's not humane leaving them there. I'm with you. I've written columns advocating for that as well. So. Uh-huh. Um, do you think that the average San Franciscan, when they see one of these people uh, passed out on the streets and sometimes you can't tell, are they alive? Are they dead? Are they just sleeping? Are they, are they just really high? Like what's going on? Should they call 911 or does that overburden you guys to the point where you can't respond to every single incident like that? So great question. So yes, we call people good Selmaritans. We've called people that for years. They see something and they immediately call 911. I know there has been um, outreach throughout the city to have people call 311 mm-hmm. um, for um, homeless-related um, situations, but a lot of times you will get um, uh, people calling for just somebody who's sleeping on the street, yeah. um, somebody who's, uh, you know, literally just sleeping. And, you know, we, we get sent there um, lights and sirens mm-hmm. because somebody thinks they're dead. So yeah, it does have. Um, it certainly does have an impact on on how much we respond. Yeah, it's always a struggle. I know for yeah. residents, what should we do? Yeah, you talked in your inauguration speech about your um, severe fight with an aggressive form of breast cancer. I think it was in two thousand twelve, and you said you had a double mastectomy and sixteen rounds of chemotherapy. Um, why have you decided to be so open about that experience? And can you talk a bit more about that? I think it's really important for all of us to talk talk about serious things that are that are happening for us, and also in terms of cancer within the fire service, 
we have a much higher rate mm -hmm. uh, of cancer in the fire service than the general population was. And around 2012 is when we were really noticing a lot of premenopausal women in the San Francisco Fire Department getting breast cancer. And so I, and we did not have a presumption law then. So it, we had to prove that it was related to the job mm -hmm. to be covered by workers' compensation. Uh, now there's a presumption law in place, um, thanks to many of our, um, our political friends in the city and the state. So we don't have to, um, we don't have to prove that. Mm -hmm. um, the city has to prove that uh, the job didn't cause our cancer. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. And so at that time, we didn't have that presumptive law. So I said to the union, if you need to use me as the poster child, I'm happy to do it if it will make somebody else's life easier. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's important to be real about what it's like and that I don't want anybody else in my fire department to go through anything like what I went through. Mm. I'm just hearing the words, you have cancer. It's like, what? Yeah. So it's really important to, to, um, to make people aware so we can take steps to protect ourselves, whether it's decontaminating ourselves after a fire, mm -hmm. uh, buying safer equipment, um, just, and we've been, I've also gone around the country um, teaching about this stuff to mm -hmm. other wow. fire departments. So it's it's definitely near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. But I, I think cancer, um, post-traumatic stress stuff, I think it's important for us to not keep that in the shadows and to really have conversations about it uh, because that's the only way to address it, in my opinion. Definitely. Well, you've survived our serious questions. And now <laughs> it's time for the fun lightning round. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> You can always pass, okay. but we encourage you not to. Okay. Uh, where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? <laughs> 25th and Mission. Okay. There's a, what is it called? La Taqueria, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's a good choice. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I am just watching the... Uh, the latest Tales of the City oh, yeah. series on Netflix. That counts. I dig that. Yeah. That can be your answer. Yeah. Okay. Where do you like to go for a stiff drink? Well, I don't drink, so oh. I haven't had a drink for <laughs> so over nowhere. 30 years. Wow. You don't want me to have a drink, believe me. <laughs> uh, do you remember what was your first concert? Yes. So I had, and I'm not sure... I think I was 17 or something. One summer, I went to the police Okay. Uh, in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Uh -huh. And I also went to James Taylor at, oh. on the Boston Green or whatever it was called back then. Yeah, Very good picks. Those were, those were my first two. Of course, we were in the nosebleed for the police. You yeah. know? It was like a speck on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> but you were there. I was. What was the last book that you read? I am currently reading one on leadership, and I can't for the life of me remember um, the name, but it's something like uh, Leaders Eat Last or mm. something like that. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite depiction of firefighters in movies or on TV? They're usually pretty bad depictions <laughs> and really unrealistic. <laughs> So I would say uh, the best was when we had a, a film crew actually um, running with our rescue squad, going to fires, and filming us mm -hmm. actually doing doing the work, rescuing people from under muni trains oh, wow. and the like. Um, so that was 
that was a few years back, probably mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was the real deal. What does pop culture get wrong about firefighting? So it is a lot dirtier, a lot harder. Um, it's not always, oh, you see the flames. You know, a lot of times you're crawling into a building that is black with smoke and you don't know where the fire is um, and uh, you, you can't see a thing and um, it starts getting hotter and hotter. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just, yeah, it's it, it most firefighters will tell you it's just so unrealistic. Yeah. And the medical calls they go on, it's like, no, that didn't happen. Like, it's ridiculous, <laughs> you know? Like, so yeah. they get a lot wrong. But yeah. um, they get it right in terms of people wanting to, some people wanting to watch it, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. When you get a call that a major fire has just developed, does your heart sink or do you feel a rush of excitement? <laughs> um, I, I... I would say somewhere in the middle now. I have a very calm response to um, to incidents. I am always curious if I hear that there's a major fire. Uh, and so I turn on the radio, our tactical channel, so mm-hmm. I can listen to it and hear what's going on and hear how it's going, if it's getting worse or um, it's getting better. Um, no, the only time um, my heart really sinks is when I know there are casualties, yeah. either um, civilian or one of our members gets injured, mm-hmm. um, then it's really, yeah, um, or people's pets. It's just, yeah. that's when my heart sinks. But um, no, uh, I, I used to get a huge rush uh, going to a fire, just the adrenaline pumping, mm-hmm. and I know most of our members do, um, but you have to look calm on the outside um, while you're, you know, get all pumped up on the way there. Um, and... Uh, but yeah, I loved I loved going to fires, and I don't mean that to sound terrible. Like I want somebody's home to burn down. That's of not, not it. Yeah. Um, but I I loved the challenge of them. I loved being able to you know save people's homes and yeah, yeah. So when your predecessor, Fire Chief Joanne Hayes White, retired, she joked that she'd actually have to go shopping for regular clothes. Do you like always wearing the exact same outfit, or does it get boring? <laughs> Well, it's very convenient wearing this exact same <laughs> outfit day in and day out. But yeah, I do miss my, uh, I, I'm a jeans and sweatshirts kind of gal <laughs> and uh, lots of different pairs of sneakers, but uh, I, I get to wear it on the weekends sometimes. Okay. So, but it's super convenient having to wear this old thing every, every day. Yeah. It really is. And were you a good firehouse chef? And if so, did you have a recipe that your fellow firefighters really liked? So I was not a chef. I was not a good cook when I came into the fire department. And the old time guys really taught me everything mm-hmm. from how to crush a clove of garlic to, uh, you know, to, to saute, um, make chicken piccata or whatever. Um, and so my favorite meal that I made was a marinated skirt steak, mm. marinated with soy, honey, and ketchup. And, uh, and roasted uh, sweet potatoes, um, you know, cut up small, mm-hmm. and then a giant salad with, uh, you know, um, red onion, cranberries, blue cheese, apples, just, yeah, and a vinaigrette. So I make a great vinaigrette um, and a mean skirt steak. Nice. Yeah. And lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Exercise, working out. Um I, I worked out with a trainer this morning at the gym for an hour. Wow. Um, so I work work out three days a week with a trainer and then um, 
pretty much three days a week on my own mm-hmm. cardio and stuff, but it is my mental health. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely um, necessary for me to move my body and, um, and to stay in shape. And plus, I'm doing the, this uh, stair climb in September. I don't know if you've heard about it. Yeah, I have. And it is, for, it is to raise money for um, first responders' mental health uh, because we have much higher incident of post-traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic stress injury, uh, and, and other um, associated issues uh, than the general population. So we're climbing uh, Salesforce Tower. I think it's September 8th, is it? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm doing it, and uh, I'm getting myself in shape. For it, <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you to Fire Chief Janine Nicholson for joining me today to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. 